whole, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out how to start this episode with Alex Belly. You know, the one about choice and, and consumer well-being? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you're having problems with this? Yeah, I can't figure out how to start it. Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, I guess you could just like lay out your options. What what sort of options were you tossing up between? Uh, so I uh, put together this spreadsheet. Let me show you. Uh, oh, yeah. Decision matrix spreadsheet. Wonderful. Uh, to Wonderful. maximize my options. Yep. Oh, I can see you got criteria there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got like a little indice going. Okay. Yep. Yep. You got your little alternatives. Yep. What do you think? Firstly, am I going overboard here? I just want to make the right decision. Well, you know that any of them are going to be fine. Yeah, but it's the intro. You know, the intro is like the most important part of the show. Yeah, but they're all going to be fine. <laughs> like, really? What, what, just choose one at random? I mean, yeah. I mean, just go with the first one, right? I can't believe you'd say that. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Think Business Futures. My name's David Brown. I'm Associate Dean Excel Engagement at the UTS Business School. And I'm Nicole Sutton, a lecturer in accounting at the UTS Business School. So Think Business Futures, we're taking cutting-edge research, we're bridging it with real-world examples, we're talking to the people who are doing the research, and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And on this episode, we're speaking with Alex Belly about choice and consumer well-being. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. So Alex is an early career researcher in the marketing discipline at the University of Technology, Sydney. To start us off, Alex, could you tell us... What got you interested in marketing? Basically, I decided to research, you know, consumer well-being, looking at how different, uh, let's say, marketing strategies, different marketing policies can affect uh, decision-making and uh, can help consumers have a much better quality of life. This idea of consumer well-being, we're going to unpack this today. Uh, can you tell us just really general, what is this? Of course. So uh, consumer well-being in general, let's say there is not a, sp- a specific definition of it. Uh, in general, well-being is considered, it can be equated to quality of life, but there are a lot of interpretation of it. In general, I would say that consumer well-being is a satisfaction of a consumer with the, every single, uh, let's say, aspects of uh, facets of consumption so that is to say uh, consumption with uh, the decision process consumption with the shopping consumption with uh, what you own and so on and so forth so you started talking about consumer well-being and then this sort of broadened into a a bigger discussion around uh, well-being more broadly so there's kind of an assumption there that there's some relation between uh, consumption and well-being yeah there's more of an idea that marketing can actually help consumers achieve well-being, and this is be done is done with consumption. Think about last time you had some. Hang on, sorry, yeah. I have to interrupt. Sure, because this is completely counterintuitive in terms of how we tend to think about well-being. So when we talk about consumption, we often think about this is, um, you know, the pressure. You know, that book status anxiety and. Uh, a sense that marketing is not involved in actual well-being, but in, in anything but. No, that that is totally true, and uh, it's it's totally true. But the thing is that marketing is not only you know that discipline that helps companies make a lot of money without considering what consumers do. Marketing can also find ways to allow consumers to find happiness in their day-to-day life. Think about last time you went on a holiday. How did? You, how were you feeling? Did you go through a decision process? Did you go through a, you know, an experience yourself? Well, and the research by Kahneman Versky would suggest is how I felt at the end of the holiday is how I felt about the holiday. Yeah, yeah. But 
I think marketing have got the tools, um, the tools to actually allow consumers to feel good about their choices. And there is a, a massive, let's say, stream of literature about this in the latest journal of consumer research uh, issues. Authors like uh, Jennifer Aker, for example, they worked a lot on happiness and how consumers can achieve happiness uh, with uh, their, you know, their experiences and so on. Okay, so we're onto this issue of choice. You know, when consumers have to choose between different options. So I guess the central question here is, as consumers, are we better off if we have more choice? Well, there are different sides to this questions okay this question so on one side you know i can use the economic perspective and say yes more choice is better you know uh you know there's a lot of literature on self-determination theory and the idea that you've got more choice means that you actually are able to you know express your preferences much better so yay you should be much better off with a lot of choice then there's the other side of the coin. That is to say that a lot of literature is actually showing the opposite. When consumers are faced with a lot of options, they are paralyzed sometimes. They feel overwhelmed that they do not know what to do. Just to give you an example, there was a study, I think in 2000, by Iyengar and Lepa. And what they did was they set up a sort of a choice experiment in an actual supermarket. And in one condition, pretty much, in one situation, pretty much, they had six different types of gems. Okay? Ah, the gems. The gem study, study. Yeah, yeah, that's the gem study. Yeah. And in other conditions, they had 24. Okay, so what happened, what they found is actually very interesting. In the condition where there were six types of gems, more people were actually less satisfied with the amount of choices, but they would buy much more than in the other condition. Okay. So the more the, con- the, more the options that you have to taste, pretty much, the less you're likely to actually buy. Okay. But you're more satisfied that you've got a lot of choices. Okay. So that's what they found. Okay. So basically, the fact that you've got a lot of choices leads to actual inertia. You're actually not making a choice. Does there is there indications in the research or in the literature, or just theories about why this is the case? Well, there could be a lot of explanations. Uh, anticipated regret. So people don't want do not want to make a choice because they already think that they're going to make the wrong choice. So you, you don't they don't want to run the risk of regretting the choice that they're going to make. Because there are too many choices and they'd be like, and they'd be like no, I don't want to make the choice. So as we have more options on the table, yeah. our fear of regret potentially is higher. Is, it, is that what the research would suggest? Pretty much, yeah. Because you got so much right in front of you and you're like, okay, now there's so much that I can choose. Mm-hmm. What am I going to be choosing? If I choose this, it might be wrong, right? And then, you oh, know, you can okay. might regret, regret, regret it. Oh. And that's called consumer inertia. Okay. Yeah. Um, another thing is that consumers might also de- defer their choice when there is uh, too much choice. That is to say, they might decide they might decide to decide later on in time. Does that make sense? So they might decide to choose later on. I'm not deciding now. I'm deciding deciding later on because I'm too overwhelmed right now. That sounds like procrastination. Well, laziness. <laughs> it could be a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But so yeah. So deciding to decide later is yeah. actually a choice as well. Hmm. Yeah. To, yeah. To a certain extent, but you still don't want to run the risk of making a decision now because you might make the right, wrong decision. That's why you'd be like, yeah, I've got. I want to have more time to actually process all this information that I've got and make the right decision at a later point in time. Okay. And so you said before in this car, how this relates to economic theory. Yeah. So how does this gel with what we would normally understand as, you know, rational economic theory about choice? 
Well, the idea of rational choice of the homo economicus, right, the rational man, they want to maximize their choice. They want to maximize their utility. They want to make the decision that really maximizes, yeah, the preferences. The only problem is that this literature actually sort of is actually counterintuitive in the sense that we find that the more choices that you have doesn't allow people to actually make the best choice. They might actually lead people to have to experience worse um, mood, worse effect, and so on and so forth. So they are not considering that psychological side of uh, choice. They consider the homo economicus only to be rational. They don't consider him or her to be emotional, okay. let's say. All right. So it seems that choice is actually quite much trickier than what our economic friends would perhaps absolutely uh, ha- would have perhaps thought. That the fact that if we have more options, uh, that we might be paralysed or stuck in this inertia because either because we're worried about regret or we're overloaded with information or we just want to decide to decide later. Alex, in your work, you look at the nature of the decision maker themselves. And in particular, you draw on this distinction in the literature between people who are maximizers and those who are satisficers. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's correct. Yes? That's correct. So what is this? Um, Yeah, sure. I'd like to explain a little bit about these terms. Um, So maximizers and satisficers are two different personality traits. That is to say, some characteristics that are embedded in people's personality. We're talking about uh, maximizers. Maximizers are those people that never settle for second best. They always want to achieve the best that they can. They want to make the best decision that they can. They want to make the best choice whenever they can. Uh, They have very high standards for themselves as well. Uh, And on the other side, we've got satisficers. Satisficers are those people that in comparison to maximizers, are um, happy with uh, you know to settle for second best. They do not struggle. They do not struggle when they make a choice. They you know they're just happy with the, a good enough option, and then they you know move on with their lives. Can we unpick this a little bit just sure, to kind course. of help um, us recognize, or let's let's amp it up a little bit and just kind sure. of get a sense of these characters, right? Because yes. I know they're ideal types, but this distinction seems important. So. Talk us through how a maximizer would make a decision about, say, what to have for breakfast. Oh, that's going to be a very difficult decision for for a maximizer. Why? Well, they wake up in the morning and they would look at the fridge. They've got some options and they will be like, what is the best thing that I can have based on what I'm doing today? So they, uh, they do they want milk? Do they want juice? Do they want coffee? For them, deciding among these options would be very difficult because they want to consider every single uh, every single consequence coming from this decision itself. So pretty much being a maximizer could be very, very hard because they're also considering alternative uh, dimensions, alternatives, um, alternative realities pretty much. What is going to come out of this decision? For them, it's really hard to make this decision because they have these high standards. They want to make sure that they made the best decision for themselves. Okay. okay. And so, so they're the ones that just really want to get every decision absolutely right. Exactly. Even absolutely if it, right. Even if it's just what am I going to watch on Netflix right now? Correct. Correct. Whereas on a satisficer, they just open the fridge. They're like, oh, milk. Let's grab it. And they're happy. Okay. Do satisficers have some level of satisfaction? Do they care at all? It sounds like they're not even really making a choice. No, no. They don't really care. Like No, they do care. So they've got they've got standards, but for them good enough is fine. Whereas uh, maximizers go for the best of the best. So I want to make an example of Netflix since you brought it up. Uh, if you are with um, at home with your partner, you want to watch something, right? Uh, if you were a maximizer, you would go through every single option 
on Netflix and be like, what are we watching? What are we watching? If you watch this, uh, I don't know. This is not maybe we're not. It's not the best one. If you're satisfied, so you find the first movie and or the, you know you look through a few a few movies and you find with you know one of those. Yeah, this is the difference between Satisficer and Maximizer, pretty much. So for Maximizer's decision is making a decision is very very difficult. Okay, so when you define that, Alex, you talked about this being a trait. Yes. And I've noticed that you've also talked about uh, traits and states in some of your work. And so I guess, can you explain that a little bit to us? Because I think this has got some interesting implications for this choice modeling. Yeah, of course, of course. So there's a big literature in psychology that distinguishes between a trait and a state. Whereas a a trait is something that is more, let's say, stable uh, over time, a state is something that is uh, transient, something that only uh, occurs at a specific moment in time. So whereas a a personality trait is something that really sticks with you for a very long time, and it's much more difficult to actually change, a state is something that can only last a few days, can last a month, but a specific and short period of time, and not a very long one. So you're suggesting these behaviours are traits rather than states? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm saying maximization and satisfying. They're both traits as I have studied them in my research. However, they can also be considered as states. Okay, Some studies in, J- in JCI, in General Consumer Research, have looked at maximization and satisfying as uh, states itself. So you can lead a person to be a maximizer or lead them to be a satisfizer. So isn't it really dependent on the kind of decision that you're making? So when I think about this, there are some decisions which clearly you would maximize and there's some decisions that you would satisfy yeah. on. But the way you explained this earlier, it seems that a maximizer maximizes on every decision. Correct. And actually, this is a very important point, especially because the literature, um, most criticisms of maximizers is this, the fact that maximization depends on the, the decision context. Um, so how the, fir- the max- maximization, the maximizer's trait has been defined is across contexts and, you know, we're going to discuss it later. You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcasting app and look for Think Business Futures. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. This show is a co-production of UTS Business School with support from 2SER. And on this episode, we're speaking with Alex Belly about choice and consumer well-being. Is there a downside to being a satisficer? Yes, but there's, there are also downsides of being a maximizer. So I'll show you them, them both. So a study by, I think it's Iengar, Wells and uh, Schwartz. Uh, so in a study about choosing a job, I've shown that satisficers, um, when, when choosing a job, um, uh, satisficers are much more happy with uh, the choice that they make, but they choose a job that actually gives them less money, so a, less, a lower income. Whereas maximizers, they find a job that gives them much more money, but they're less satisfied with the choice that they, have, that they make. Ah, okay. okay. So, so it's two sides of the coin. So your maximizer, fine. You get you maybe you you know you got a worse outcome, you know, qualitatively, but you're more happy with uh, with it than a maximizer is. A maximizer would would make a better choice in terms of quality. They you know uh, they will get better incomes, for example, for in terms of a job, but at the same time will be much much less satisfied and much more regretful about the choice that they made. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, before you mentioned that you're doing research that's looking at whether or not people have a personality trait of whether or not they're kind of maximizers and satisfices. And in your work, you can actually draw upon um, a, a, a survey that that you can actually use to kind of measure this. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been several, several scales uh, that have measured this trait. Uh, on one side, we've got satisfying. So on the other side, we've got maximize, uh, maximization. Yeah. Can we do one? Yeah, oh, of course. I would love to do I, that. I'm really curious. I want to know. I don't know what I want to be. Um, well, I've seen you buy a car, Dr. Okay, Sutton. Okay, well, let's, so. just, let's, let's hold judgment right now. Um, but I would really like to learn if I am a maximizer or a satisficer. So, Alex, are you going to help us go through... Th- a test. Let's call it a, a test. A test. Okay? A test. And so for our listeners at home, they can actually do it along with us? Absolutely. Like, what but, are they going to need? Yeah, just get a piece of paper, uh, a pen as well. And uh, I'm going to read through 13 different questions. Okay, so for every question, try to answer truthfully. So the answers could go from one to seven, where one is never and seven is always. And at the end of uh, the 13 questions, I'm actually going to give you more information on what you have to do. So are you ready? Are um, you scared? Uh, A little bit. A little yeah, bit? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited. So the first question, whenever I'm faced with a choice, I try to imagine what all the other possibilities are, even ones that I'm present at the moment. So one is never. And seven is always. The second one is, no matter how satisfied I am with my job, it's only right for me to be on the lookout for better opportunities. Now, number three is, when I'm in the car listening to the radio, I often check other stations to see if something better is playing, even if I am relatively satisfied with what I'm listening to. Then four, when I watch TV, I channel surf, often scanning through the available options even while attempting to watch one program. And five, I treat relationships like clothing. I expect to try a lot on before finding the perfect fit. Then six, I often find it difficult to shop for a gift for a friend. Seven, renting videos is really difficult. I'm always struggling to pick the best one. Eight, when shopping, I have a hard time finding clothing that I really love. Nine, I'm a big fan of lists that attempt to rank things, the best movies, the best singers, the best athletes, the best novels, etc. Ten, I find that writing is very difficult, even if if it's just writing a letter to a friend, because it's so hard to word things just right. I often do several drafts of even simple things. I think this will be difficult for academics. (laughs) Then 11, no matter what I do, I have the highest standards for myself. 12, I never settle for second best. And 13, I often fantasize about living in ways that are quite different from my actual life. Okay, so this is the questionnaire. Yeah, you should have 13 numbers that go from 1 to 7. Now, sum them up and divide this number by 13. So, Dave, you've added up your numbers. You divided it by 13. What did you get? I got 4.8. So, Nicole, you added up your numbers. You divided it by 13. In your head, I might add. And what did you get? 3.92. Are you serious? I'm serious. You're more of a satisfizer than me. I don't believe that. 
Well, just so for Alex, can you help us interpret yeah, our results? Yeah, of course. But how you interpret it is actually pretty correct in the sense that uh, if four is the midpoint of the scale, everything below four tends, uh, you know, defines people or characterizes people that are more satisfies. Whereas uh, everybody that is higher than four uh, are maximizers. Um, Why did you look at me when you said that? Hey, Dave, I see you're in a little bit of a bind here. Do you want to phone a friend? Good morning, Peter speaking. Hey, Pete, it's David. How are you, mate? Good. Nicole, one of my colleagues and I have got this podcast. I'm doing a show on decision architecture. Mm-hmm. And when we were chatting in the studio, it sort of occurred to me that you might be a really nice person to interview in your decision processes. You're always coming up with something eclectic. I know when I see your name come up on my phone, it's always going to be interesting, Dave. Oh, thank you, mate. That's very kind of you. Uh, so today we have uh, your mate Pete here. So why is it that you want to talk to Peter today? Well, Peter for me has been a really great benchmark in making great decisions that are the optimal outcome or optimal decision. So many of the decisions that I've made over the years, small and large, I will often have rung Pete and asked him about a similar decision that he's made. Or sometimes he might not have made that decision, but I'll talk through the parameters with him. So let me give you an example. This is a really big example, I guess, is when we were buying a house, uh, I knew Pete knew everything about the real estate market in that area, and then more broadly. And so after I had gone through the process of figuring out what would be really good, and we found a house that we thought met all the criteria, then I rang up my mate Pete, and I'm like, Pete, do you have time? Can you please come down and look at this house for me and tell me whether you think this is like a great choice or not? And and Pete, is this the only occasion that Dave has called on you to help him make a decision? No, there's been a number uh, over the years, and I always, when I see Dave's uh, number come up on the phone, I was wondering, now, what's coming next is... Uh, and we don't live in each other's pocket, but as very good, close friends, when we, we chat to each other, it's like time has stood still. Yeah. And uh, so there's been other things like cars, motorbikes, sometimes even on holidays where our family lived in Thailand for a period of time, and, and Dave and his family wanted to uh, come and visit us. And so uh, Dave just made the decision, well, whatever you're doing, we'll just come and join you and we'll leave the details to you. So we had an amazing journey with a lot of funny stories through uh, Laos and Vietnam together and uh, the north of Thailand. So I'll give you a case in point. Yeah. Well, I've seen Pete's decision processes so often and also being a research academic where you're used to sort of exploring how people make decisions and their their processes. We've had, you know, a thousand conversations about decision process. And I've also seen the results of Peter's decisions. So not only do I understand his process, but I've also seen the outcomes of those decisions. And so that's why I have a lot of trust in his capacity to make really great decisions. As we saw before, uh, maximizers actually get better, better outcomes than satisfices. Even though satisfices feel much better about these uh, these outcomes, so satisfices are happier. Like. So, Doctor Sutton, you're probably happier than I am.
Doesn't it really depend on the issue? I'll go back to my earlier point. Mm. This is one of the criticisms of this specific scale. There is um, uh, the stream of literature that is actually explaining that maximization is context should be context specific. Uh, I think academics are starting to actually believe that it's more contextual, and uh, also this scale, this scale is being criticized for a lot of things. For example, that it wasn't um, you know the measurement wasn't sound enough. So there are so many scales for maximization. So, but this is probably the most the most famous one. So it gives you, in terms of interpreting this, you know, while we understand that there are context contingent factors, it gives you a general trend around the the behaviour, in a sense, or the trait that the person might exhibit. Exactly, exactly, in your decision making. And Pete, have you always made decisions in this style of process or is it something you've learnt along the way? It's probably a little bit of both. I had a rather eclectic upbringing without going into all the embarrassing details, but in many ways was forced to learn how to survive at a young age because of a difficult uh, family situation. And I can even remember when I was 16, in end of year 10, growing up in a very remote part of Australia with very little opportunity either education-wise or, or work-wise, and began to formulate a strategy of how I could get out of that scenario and uh, take a different journey in life, realising that where that physical location was, there was going to be no, no options or opportunity in life. So I had a, a, a relative, an uncle, and I, I came up with a strategy that uh, said, can I come and stay with you for the school holidays at the end of year 10? And I'd saved up money doing part-time uh, jobs after school. And uh, he accepted that, but I didn't tell him the real plan was whilst I was there, and I'd already done a lot of research, is how can I find an apprenticeship in a particular chosen field? And then did all the legwork and groundwork even before arriving. And then once I arrived, hit the ground running and in the end was offered three apprenticeships during that uh, period. And uh, then did the negotiation with my uncle and the rest of the family to be able to stay and struck a deal that, that worked. And it started a new path in life. Wow. Not bad at 16. Wow. You think? Wow. Mm. Well, speaking of whether or not, you know, mm. it might be inherent or otherwise... Perhaps we can have a go at the survey, which is a survey that it tests. It's got the the maximisation scale, uh, and it's a survey that Dave and I have done. I was a little surprised, actually. (laughs) Yep. And so perhaps we could go through some of the questions with you, if you like. Happy. So, Pete. Yes. What does that translate? Pete, you so you've scored five out of seven. Okay. Which makes you an absolutely qualified maximizer. So should I now be interned and uh, <laughs> did the white van turn up next? <laughs> no, so this means that Dave is absolutely right in soliciting your help in making decisions. Yeah, how does that sit with you? Does that kind of... Look, I agree with with the outcome. And I suppose the big question mark in, in all of that is uh, taking in the emotional context to that for others around you because uh, you know, even my family uh, play jokes on me at times because they recognise that I'm that sort of OCD type of person. At times, maximising decisions also brings stress and pressure. 
mm-hmm. and you know because you're not as relaxed and it's it, it and I'll be honest it takes me quite a while to chill and relax because you overthink and overanalyze mm-hmm. and so knowing how to switch that off can be difficult because once you've kicked that motor running it's very difficult to to turn that motor off and you know for me personally it might take a, a whole week of being on holidays before I can begin to sort of bring that that you know, background running app in my mind uh, to a steady state. So then if we kind of pull this back to some of the issues we were speaking about um, earlier, what is the link then in terms of well-being? Who is a happier consumer? Is it a maximizer or a satisficer? This is actually goes with, uh, you know, this is actually leads into my research because that's what I did. There's a massive, you know, literature on maximization, satisficing, and how it affects, uh, um, how it affects well-being. And uh, what I decided to do is to carry out a meta-analysis that uh, is pretty much a quantitative literature review of uh, all the available literature studies at hand. And uh, I try to make sense of out of this, all of this data. Um, so uh, basically what I found in my literature is not only that maximizers feel much worse when we're talking about positive well-being, so positive constructs such as happiness or affect and so on, but they feel much worse also when it comes to uh, negative well-being, that is to say regret when it comes to, uh, I don't know, depression and so on and so forth. So basically what we find is that maximization is actually a double-edged sword. Back to this issue around you know, increasing the number of options. How does having more options affect maximizers and satisfices? So this is actually quite interesting because the literature so far has shown that maximizers uh, tend to be much worse, uh, feel much worse when they have many more options, of course. However, what my meta-analysis has found is that actually maximizers tend to feel a little bit better when they've got more choice. The problem comes from the autonomy that they're given by the, the country or, they say, the government in the, the context they live in. So basically, if I'm giving you the right or giving you enough right to make uh, choices for yourself, maximi- a maximizer in that condition would actually feel much worse than, uh, than a satisfier. It's not a matter of how many choices you have. More choices is actually better for maximizers, but it's the autonomy that is granted by the country that leads to lower well-being. So, Alex... What are the implications of this research? Well, my research looks more at the public public policy side of things. That is to say, finding ways to uh, that can help people's quality of life. So, can we try to make uh, maximizers' life a little bit better, in a sense? Uh, well. We, we can, based on what I found, if you pretty much decrease the level of autonomy that you give maximizers, maximizers could actually try, you know, tend to feel better. So maybe we can, uh, you know, that's something that we can, uh, we can work on. That brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website, 2SER.com slash thinkbusinessfutures. You can also search for us in your favourite podcasting app. And this podcast is made by the UTS Business School with the support of 2SER 107.3. Thanks, Alex Belly, for coming in, sharing your insights and your passion about consumer wellbeing. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Okay, Professor Brown, until next time. Until next time, Dr Sutton. We've certainly learnt a lot, I think, during this episode. 
I would have to agree with that. And it's actually been quite a reflective uh, exercise. I know that I've been thinking about it as we've worked our way through. It's, yes, I've been consciously trying to change and manage my decision processes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just wondering uh, for our listeners out there, if they have uh, completed the survey um, and figured out if they're a maximizer or a satisficer, uh, if they too have had some reflections, um, it'd be really great to hear from them. Yeah, were they surprised with what they learnt about themselves? Yeah, yeah. Uh, were they not surprised? Do they kind of deal with some of the problems and stresses on either side that we've been speaking about? Is this something that they manage? Uh, we'd really love to hear from you. Uh, and you could reach out uh, by tweeting about it or sending us an email. Uh, and the, the email address is on our website. It's thinkbusiness at 2ser.com. And we'd really love to hear from you. Thank you.